is Pull Yourself Together with E. Shaver Booksellers. Hello, I'm Jessica, a lifelong lover of books, wide-ranging reader, fan of obscure British literature, all things Douglas Adams, long sentences, music biographies, the Oxford comma, always up for travel, except during COVID, and of course, Jane Austen. And I'm Melissa, an eclectic bibliophile and all-around nerd who also loves Jane Austen, comics, and cooking. Together, we run an independent bookstore in Savannah, Georgia. Each episode, we discuss the books we've been reading and recommend. Hello there, and welcome to another episode. Jessica, it's it's great to be here. <laughs> it's, it's been it's been two weeks. Yeah, we we are doing so well. I'm very I proud know. of us. Sh- be careful there. I know, I know. So you, you're probably you're probably sick of us talking about how well we've done. You're like, wow, you, you do a podcast. You should do it regularly. That's just what we expect. You're oh yay for you <laughs> doing your job. Look at you. Look at you. Yeah, well, so you know. We're just going to talk about a couple of books today because we have our wonderful rep, Abby, from W.W. Norton, who we just adore. And she's going to talk about all kinds of good books. And then we're going to discuss the book that she assigned us. Yes, our, our rep homework assignment. Which was fabulous. As but all of our rep homework assignments have been. Really, I... I I, I this whole project has been wonderful because I've read, I think that they should just assign us like as we should have a store book a, uh, every two months or so. Yeah, that's what like Jessica and I were talking like even when we're not like if we're not actively having the reps on the podcast, we want to ask them to give us a book that you know maybe isn't getting a lot of love from their list that they would like us to read because we have discovered so many great books through this process that we wouldn't have picked up otherwise. You know, I mean, there are there are so many books in the world, it's hard to get to everything. Um, it is, and you tend to, um, I, you know, I tend to stay in my comfort level sometimes, mm-hmm. although the past couple of years I have not as much. No. But, um, but this definitely makes me read outside of that. Between that and our book groups, I, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm a much wider, well, no, is always a pretty wide-ranging reader. Yeah, um, I mean, like, I, I've always considered myself a fairly eclectic reader, mm-hmm. but eclectic around a theme. I mean, like there are things that are going to draw your attention and, right. and some of these books are not things that would have, you know, like pinged my radar. So it's been a good thing. It's been a great thing. Yeah. Yes. Well, I'm just going to jump in if go that's all right it. with you <laughs> or how about you? No, no, you go okay. first. I, I'm trying, <laughs> I'm trying to hold in my head the pronunciation for this one well, author's name. Go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. You're, okay. I, I, I defer. All right. <laughs> so, um, One thing that COVID has done in Savannah has given us a wealth of refugees from New York, Mm -hmm. which has been really interesting because we have several authors currently living in Savannah um, that I would not have expected to run into. And they're, they're not like small authors. They're kind of a big deal authors. (laughs) And, and so um, it's been interesting for us, and because they're authors, um, even though we're book nerds, we often don't realize who they are, especially because everyone's masked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not like, I mean, yes, there are author photos on books, but it's not, most authors can fly under the radar unless they're like Stephen King or John Grisham mm-hmm. and, you know. Or have a very particular look. Yeah. So these are people that we're hand-selling books to and talking about. And then, like, a month later, they're like, oh, yeah, I have a book coming out. Would you guys be interested in doing anything with me? Yeah, and <laughs> and this one in particular, when you kind of understand her pedigree and, mm-hmm. and um, where she's come from, you're like, eh, duh, yeah, of course we'll do something with you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, one of those authors is Jen Spira. Mm-hmm. And she is formerly um, a writer for several different shows, but most recently Stephen Colbert. And he has written the foreword to her book of short stories called Big Time. Mm -hmm. So she actually dropped off a copy of the book with a handwritten note asking me to read it at the store. I was like, well, of course I'll read this. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And we do have an event coming up with her in March. So check our events calendar. Yes. It's going to be super fun. Uh, She is just incredibly nice, first of all. 
Um, and the, the second book that I'm going to talk about, All the King's Men, is one of the books I recommended to her when I had no idea who she was. So Yeah, and the event she's doing with us, she's going to be in conversation with other writers from the Colbert Show, so it, it'll be a good time. Yeah, we are really <laughs> looking forward to it. There is a positive side of virtual events in COVID. Um, not a lot of positive sides, but... This this has turned out for a bookstore like us in a, a secondary market, I mm-hmm. would say, um, has been interesting. Yeah, it's nice to have the ex- accessibility to authors that we probably wouldn't have been able to bring to live events at the store. Um, so, yeah, it's it's just enabled us to do a little more. Than, to be more creative. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, but anyway, with, uh, with all of that... All that yes. preamble. <laughs> um, so Jen Spira has a book coming out. It's short stories. It's called Big Time. And they are funny, um, <laughs> as one would expect. And they're sort of onion funny, Monty Python funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am, I've read a few of them out of the book. And the first one which is about getting your perfect bride body. <laughs> There's a line in there that I actually like laughed so hard, my fizzy water came out of my nose. And oh, Annie no. had to come back and rescue me because she thought I was choking. And I was like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, just, I'm just drowning in my fizzy water. It's fine. <laughs> so there are a lot of laugh out loud um, lines in here. It is satirical. Um, if you don't like body humor... Um, or body like B A W D Y. Yes. Okay. Not B O D Y. Maybe B O D Y. Both. Both <laughs> things are in there. Okay. So if you're uncomfortable with that kind of thing, this may not be the book for you because that is in there. Okay. But um, but if you like the Stephen Colbert show and you've read The Onion and um, or it followed The Onion mm-hmm. on social media and whatnot and appreciate that kind of humor, this is definitely the book for you. Um, so the first short story is The Bridal Body, which I read, and that's the one that caused me to choke on fizzy water, which is a liquid, so that was interesting. Um, and then the first influencer, really laugh out loud. I'm waiting with bated breath for Jessica to pass this copy of this book to me because this is so right up my alley. Like, I really want to read this. Yes, and I am getting ready to. I'm just, I'm reading the title story, Big Time, right now, which is about 100 pages, and I'm mostly through it. It's about a woman who grows up poor, mm-hmm. kind of a la Steve Martin's um, shop girl. No, no. Um, I was a poor. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. Gotcha. And um, ends up just knowing that she's going to make it to the big time. And so she goes from Catholic orphanage to uh, small town fame, to Hollywood, mm-hmm. and um, and then, and this is all taking place kind of depression to World War II, and then suddenly ends up in the current day, and I'm not going to spoil how she does. Yeah, leave that. And, and her <laughs> trying to deal with, like, the sensibilities of the current culture is challenging and interesting. In my head, she's Captain America and she's been unfrozen. Um, not quite. <laughs> um, I mean, he's dealing with the, how yeah. the sensibilities of a current age. She's got more of a sort of... Um, like, she's willing to work it to rise, whereas um, Captain America is pure, as yes. is my love for him. Yes. <laughs> Yes and yes. So um, so that creates some conflict okay. with her her current peers who are trying to teach her that that's not the way you get to the top anymore. In the in the Me Too movement and yeah okay interesting yeah. yeah so it is it's interesting but I I it this book comes out on March sixteenth mm-hmm. we will absolutely have copies of it in the yes. store and. Hopefully, and with all probability, they will be signed Mm -hmm. copies um, because I feel like Jen likes us enough to come sign the book since she's doing an event with us. I think that... I think that that's probably a given. Um, But yes, so um, if you're interested in that... um, the event is on our event calendar online, mm-hmm. so check it out. Um, we would and love to have a you there. Variety of ticket levels, so mm-hmm. it's open to pretty much 
Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. there's a ticket that includes the book. There's a ticket that is just free if your funds are low. We just would like people to come, come and, and, and appreciate and, the the genius of Jen Spira. Yes, Spira. I think Spira. Spira. Sorry, Jen, if you're listening. <laughs> if you're if you're 41 on our list later, <laughs> list, I'm sorry. Um, okay. okay. So I'm gonna switch gears completely, um, <laughs> like we do. Like we do. Um, and talk about a middle grade book that I read recently. And I'm a little late to the party because this one has been out for a while. And the reason I picked it up is because a sequel to it just came out as well, and they had sent me both the original book and the arc for the sequel um, mm-hmm. because there was a lot of excitement about the sequel coming out. And it is Kenny and the Dragon, and it's by Tony DiTerlizzi. And if I didn't pronounce that correctly, I'm very sorry. I was trying to hold it in my head from the YouTube pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... People might know him as the author of the Spiderwick Chronicles, which is a very popular children's series. Yes. Um, Okay, so Kenny and the Dragon is just charming and enchanting and lovely. It's a it's a retelling of Kenneth Graham's story, The Reluctant Dragon. So so yeah, wonderful. So wonderful, and he plays off of the fact that it's a retelling of the story because the main character is a rabbit named Kenny Mm -hmm. and the dragon in this is named Graham. So he's giving, paying homage to Kenneth Graham and he talks about literature in this and mentions Kenneth Graham and the wind Mm -hmm. in the willows. And so he, it's honestly, it's for kids, but I feel like it's more for the adult who is reading it to their kids. Which are the best. Yeah. Because everybody gets something out of that. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of vocabulary in this book that might be difficult for a middle grade reader, but I think it's totally worth it. I, if, this would be a great read aloud book. So, um, yes, if you love to read aloud to children, which I always did with my kids. Yeah. Um, this is a this is a great one because like like we said, you'll both get something out of it because there are a lot of kids books that are just aimed at the kid and not aimed at like an adult reading it to a kid. Well, and that's, you know, when we're talking to customers, oftentimes that's a discussion we'll have with them because um, to kind of get my kids to read, there were certain books that they really wanted that I was not going to read aloud right. to them. Well, it's it, Captain Underpants. Um, <laughs> if you want to read that, you need to read that. So that was the rule. You have to read that yourself. And so they were inspired to read. But books like The Wind in the Willows or, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, those I would read aloud. It's like I consider it like the book equivalent of like a Pixar movie. Because like Pixar movies are for kids, but the humor in most Pixar movies is aimed for the adult that's accompanying the child. Cause yes. there's a, there, most of those jokes kids aren't getting. And I love well, that get, about Pixar. I think they get them on some level, but well, but they know it's supposed to be funny, but they don't know why it's funny. They don't know the level within the level. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The deeper meaning. But anyway, so, <laughs> so if you're not familiar with Kenneth Graham's story, the reluctant dragon, mm-hmm. um, Kenny is this young rabbit And he is very bookish and he borrows books from the local bookstore, which is run by a badger. And um, (laughs) of course it is. Yeah. And he um, he reads a lot and he does have friends, but he's kind of the kid that is is by himself reading books, which I um, I I feel that on a deep and personal level. Um, But a dragon appears in the meadow above his his family's um, farm, and he becomes friends with Graham. And Graham is a very erudite dragon. He enjoys mm-hmm. Shakespeare and poetry and and baking. He likes a nice creme brulee. Um, so he's like a nice grandmother figure, almost. <laughs> yeah, almost, yeah. yeah. But he and Kenny become best friends, and um, then people have a problem with a dragon being in town. And it turns out that the badger who runs the bookshop was one of the king's um, main dragon slayers. He's actually a knight. And so there's a bit of of tension there. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's nice because there's the inevitable showdown 
but it teaches kids that you can fight with words and you can fight with intellect and you don't need to resort to violence and it ends happily and nicely and it's very very sweet and the best part of it is there are beautiful drawings throughout this book the illustrations are absolutely beautiful and i yes i can attest to that yeah and um i've actually read the second book in the series which is um about it's i believe it's called kenny and the book of beasts Mm -hmm. um which is about a um a bestiary that the king is creating for all these um what were considered mythological creatures, um, but they've gone, they've kind of gone missing from the world. And it mm-hmm. seems like Graham is the last of his kind Aww. out in the world. And you find out why that is. And it's a, it's more of an adventure story with mm-hmm. a little more magical element than the first one. Um, but again, still the same charming narration, the same sort of elevated vocabulary for mm-hmm. like a middle grade book. And the, the illustrations are just as beautiful. So highly, highly recommend, um, Kenny and the dragon and Kenny and the book of beasts, um, by Tony DiTerlizzi. Very good. Yeah. Yes. Well, um, the next one I'm going to talk about is something completely different. <laughs> um, it is a classic. Um, it's something that I read, for the first time between my freshman and sophomore years of college. And I just particularly remember it because I was playing a lot of tennis at that point in my life. I was home for the summer and um, I had a friend that I was playing tennis with and he um, couldn't believe I hadn't read All the King's Men by Robert Pym Warren and actually gave me a copy of it. And I um, just became completely obsessed (laughs) and immersed in this book. And so all of those memories are tied together, partially because one of the characters in the book, who's the narrator for the story, um, his name is Jack Burden, and he's a reporter. And um, he has a friend that he, from his childhood, that he ends up playing a lot of tennis with. And so it was a... It was kind of life and novel all mm-hmm. going together. Um, but All the King's Men, it was written in 1946 by Robert Penn Warren. And, um, of course, the title is from Humpty Dumpty. Mm-hmm. Um, the main character is uh, charismatic populist governor Willie Stark. And he's based on Huey Long. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's in the depression era deep south and he um he is just this larger than life character um who is pulling all the strings and he starts out trying to do the right thing um but he ends up like many people being corrupted by the power that he has and so it's it's just um the story of his rise and fall as told by Jack Burton, who is almost a, um, oh, the sidekick in Gatsby, um, the narrator in The Great Gatsby. Oh, Nick. Nick. He's almost, uh, Jack Burton is kind of a Nick-like character. Okay. Um, well, I, so Jessica has the copy sitting on the table, like across mm-hmm. from me, and I've not read it, and I've not seen the movie, but I'm looking at the list of people that's in this movie, and I'm like, I need, probably need to go watch this because this sounds... Super good. Yeah, well, <laughs> I would I would recommend reading the book first, um, as I as we often do yeah. before the movie. Um, it has a second story that's going on, that's um, an antebellum Civil War sort of narrative within okay. there. Um, in no way romanticizing, you know, that. But um, it's it's definitely. I mean, it's a classic, mm-hmm. and it's um, yeah, it's. I don't know how it has so many memories tangled up in it for me mm-hmm. that it's it's um, it's one of those books that never leaves you. Like once you've read it, this book will stay with you, um, and it definitely brings up so many memories of that time in the South and the um, and the, there's a lot of echoes of things that have happened today too in here. Yeah. So um, and. I don't want to give too much away of the story, but it's um, it's 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 epic and dramatic, but also very relatable. Okay. So, 
All the King's Men by Robert Penn Warren. If you have not read this book, if you've somehow missed it in your life, I highly, highly recommend it. Um, Penn Warren won three Pulitzer Prizes and the National Book Award, the National Medal for, for Literature, and uh, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. So... Um, He's he's a good writer, <laughs> <laughs> a well decorated writer for sure. Yes, but but no, the decorations are there. For, I mean, he really is an excellent writer. And in 1986, he was named the country's first um, poet laureate. Yeah, so, cool. Yeah, he's a, he's a he's a happening dude. All right. Yes. Oh, he's no longer with he, us. He he was a happening dude. He was a happening dude. <laughs> yes. Um. So yes. All the King's Men, Robert Penn Warren. Okay. Um, so the other thing I'm going to talk about today, uh, just because Jessica and I are only going to talk about a couple things so we can get into our talk with Abby, and this won't be, like, ages long, um, is... Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just going to preface this by saying I, like all of us, mm-hmm. enjoy some terrible trash TV on occasion. Oh, yeah, especially um, during pandemic times. Well, no, this is just kind of always. <laughs> not okay, I was trying to give you an out there. <laughs> no, I, you know what? I No shame. Oh, no. Um, yeah. I have... <laughs> I love unabashedly Gossip Girl, mm-hmm. um, the TV show, because I feel like it's Blake Lively at her finest. Um, yeah, okay. And she's... Married to Ryan Reynolds, and she can do no wrong. Um, But anyway, so my love of Gossip Girl led me to start watching the show on Netflix called You, which a lot of people have also watched. It's very popular. Um, But it's based off of books by Carolyn Kepnes. Um, So for those of you that don't know anything about this, um, You is the first uh, first book in the series. It has the same name as the, the title of the show. And it is about Joe Goldberg. Mm-hmm. And Joe works um, and is the manager of a, um, a small bookshop in New York City. Mm-hmm. And um, it has antiquarian books. And, you know, like, it's, it's a legit bookstore. Um, and... <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It's not a Barnes and Noble. He does okay. like you know what I mean. It's like an it's it's an independent bookstore. It's like a you know, um, but so a girl walks into the bookstore one day and Joe, God love him, just wants to protect this girl and love her in the way that she deserves. Mm-hmm. And if that means killing a few people and keeping a few people hostage in the in the book room. He'll do that because he's a giver (laughs) or a serial killer. Well, I mean, you could, you could go that way with it too. (laughs) Um, Look at me putting a dark spin on these things. Like love is love, Jessica. (laughs) Sounding like a Nicholas Sparks novel. (laughs) There's less serial killing in Nicholas Sparks novels. If there were more serial killing, they would be better. Um, (laughs) But. I digress. <laughs> um, anyway, so so anyway, Joe Joe may have some problems. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so this is but love is love. Love is love. Um, so the the, the heart f- wants what the heart wants. It's true. Um, so the first book is is Joe in New York doing the things that Joe does. Mm-hmm. In the second book, which is called Hidden Bodies, which is what the second season of the show is based on, um, Joe ventures out to L.A. and meets oh. yet another young lady who he just meets. wants to love. <laughs> and, um, Joe sounds misunderstood. He really is. Um, and so things happen. Joe mm-hmm. kills a few people, like Joe does. Um, and, you know, I would like to say Joe grows, but I don't think that he does and like in his head he is he's he's doing all of these things for very good reasons and it's like i think in the second one he starts to realize that well maybe this things are slipping out of control a little bit um he, he starts to question what he's doing a little mm-hmm. bit more than he did in the first one um, well that's growth i guess um <laughs> but there's now a third book coming out um 
And it comes out, I think, I want to say it comes out in June. I'm mm-hmm. almost certain it comes out in June. And it's called You Love Me. Um, and I, I just started that one. Um, and Joe is now in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> um, oh, dear. And Joe is um, volunteering at a library, mm-hmm. um, which is great with his bookseller knowledge. Like, he's very, very well read. Um, and he has a boss who he... He has developed a bit of a crush on, and, and he he has started back to his his ways of following protecting. and protecting in a way that he maybe should not. He's not done anything yet that's completely untoward. Mm-hmm. Um, so so he maybe is learning. Um, it's unclear at this mm-hmm. point, but these are these are very very um, like unreliable narrator mm-hmm. um woman in the window kind of books are um, they that creepy oh yeah there's oh, okay. there's some creepy because you're making them sound kind of lighthearted. no and they're fun. not they're not really lighthearted and fun um the way i'm talking about it is more lighthearted and fun like the show um like i is so, murdery oh yeah super murdery okay um but there are moments when he says things where he's and i find myself being like wrong joe and then i'm like hmm, maybe i need to take a step back and re-examine my priorities oh dear there is a melissa and i share a very small office i don't know how i feel about this um there is in the first book um a quote where he's talking about kindles and it well i would want to kill too no yeah. no it it really sums up my feelings on Kindles and he's talking about how Kindles have ruined the book industry. And it's not for the reason you think it's because people can't see what you're reading when you're reading it on your Kindle. Mm-hmm. He's like, and it takes the, um, accountability out of the things that you choose to read. He's, yes. and he specifically references like Dan Brown novels for <laughs> this, but he is like, no one should be able to read without other people knowing what they're reading because that's just not fair. And they need other people to know what they're reading because it's true. It needs to have a little judgment. <laughs> That is interesting reading. It, uh, it, not reading, um, uh, reasoning. That's yeah, what I'm looking for. Wow. Um, it, it made me laugh. And, at, and mm-hmm. at the same time, as someone who is not a Kindle reader and someone who is very, very much for, for books, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe. <laughs> and so, then, okay. I and then I was like, I need to take a step back from this yeah. because if I'm, if I'm agreeing with him, my life choices may not be great. I know. Oh gosh, the Kindle confessors in the store, though. <laughs> like, I'm not your your book priest. Don't you don't have to tell me that you're going to read it on your Kindle. Just keep that in your head. Yeah. Internal Sorry. monologues are there for a reason. <laughs> I know. <laughs> anyway, oh, yes. Well, so I think that's all that we're going to yes um, talk about before we bring Abby on. Yes. Um, so. Hi, so now we'd like to welcome Abby, who is our W.W. Norton rep, who's here with us to share some of the exciting books coming up this spring. And then we are all going to talk about our homework assignment, The uh, Flight of the Diamond Smugglers, A Tale of Pigeons, Obsession, and Greed Along Coastal South Africa. I can sense a mouthful. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, yes, it is quite the mouthful of a title, um, but we will we will get to that. We will all see why you need such a mouthful of a title for it. Um, oh, such a absolutely. Um, but yeah, so first, I'm going to talk about a couple of books that came out at the beginning of February, um, which you can purchase now at your local independent bookstore. Um, so first is Small Time by Russell Shorto. Um, this is such a weird mix of nonfiction. And I think uh, it's something that Russell Shorto does very well. He has written a lot of really fascinating narrative nonfiction that's more straight history. And this story is much more personal for him. And I think in some ways that makes it so much more fun to read. Um, It is essentially the story of his family's connection to this small time mob in his hometown of Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Um, And so he is 
writing about how his grandfather was second in command of this mob. Um, and wow. he still knows so it's so wild. The mob existed in Johnstown. <laughs> right. Um, everywhere. Yes. The mob is everywhere. I guess they sort of reported to the bigger mob in Pittsburgh and then Actually, yeah. the bigger mob in New York. Gotcha. Um, so they were, you know, the very kind of bottom of the ladder guys. And they didn't do anything too bad. Um, you know, they ran a, a betting ring and that kind of stuff. Um, okay. You could play the numbers with them, but you probably were not going to get murdered. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so Russell Shorto basically like grew up knowing that this was part of the family history, but just taking it for granted. And then a few years ago, he was at one of those family gatherings that we all have to go to. And his like cousin's father or something basically said to him, Hey, so Russell, you're the writer. When are you going to tell the family story? And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm not going to write a book about that. And then kind of kept getting pressured from all angles that maybe there really was a book in this story. Mm -hmm. And so he started interviewing all these guys who knew his older family members. They all hang out at their local Panera. Um, and so he would go and get all their stories. Panera is the home of organized crime, apparently. Yep. yep. Um, I, I am from central Missouri, which is the home of Panera. So I felt mm -hmm. like I was, you know, really learning a lot about my own deep in the, in the thick of it. <laughs> Because our Panera in Savannah is like where souls go to die. It's not a good one. I mean, listen, I love a Panera, but it does make sense to me that the old men who hang out in the Panera would have a mob background. I was like, that checks out. I, I um, the ambient jazz music in there keeps the uh, conversations on the down low so you don't hear what's going on around. It, 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 it checks out 100%. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so all these guys hang out there. And so he would go and like, he could interview them and get all that. And then because he's a historian, he's like, okay, and now we will zoom out. And what does this mob story and my family story tell us about 20th century America? Um, mm -hmm. He looks at all of their immigration stories, um, the you know economic aspect of things, um, all that kind of stuff. So it's, uh, it is a weird one, but it's very cool. Um, and uh yeah, he was on Fresh Air, I guess, a few weeks ago. So if, if anyone was... So the title of it again is... It's called Small Time by Russell Small Shaw. Time. I, yeah. Um, I, yeah. That I, actually sounds fascinating. It sounds, <laughs> so I dated a guy in college who, in retrospect, when I look back, his dad was definitely in the mob. But of course, at the time, <laughs> it seemed like he owned a bar... He had ponies that he ran out of New Jersey. People were always doing all their sports betting there. Hmm. <laughs> and he was, from, yeah, like had all these connections in New York and would have to go up there twice a year for business. He's an entrepreneur, Jessica. <laughs> a businessman. Come on. Man. Yeah. Looking back on it, I'm like, oh. Well, that's what that was. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yep. Yep. Um, so yes, so that is, so that's small time. And then the other one um, that I wanted to mention that is already out now is called Four Lost Cities by Annalie Newitz. Um, and this is another sort of genre mix of nonfiction. It is some science and some history. And essentially it explores four cities that used to exist and now don't exist anymore. They just got totally abandoned. So Pompeii is the obvious one. Um, one of the other ones is Cahokia, which, um, I grew up quite near to and never learned about in school. Um, and then, uh, Annalie looks at why they were abandoned and why. More about Cahokia. Um, Cahokia is near St. Louis. It was a city of mound builders and then just totally abandoned. It was all, you know, Native Americans who lived there and then eventually abandoned it. Um, yeah, so she, so so the book is looking at the the scientific aspect, the civilization history of how people have moved, um, and then kind of carries it forward into what can it tell us about how our cities are developing and changing now. Um, and so I think there's certainly some climate change aspects to that. Um, I think even you know the past couple of weeks with all of the strange weather things happening across the US, um, that was something that came up in a lot of interviews that they did about the book um, because it's all very 
connected. So uh, maybe it won't be another volcano that wipes out Pompeii, but what will it take to make us all leave what we think of as a major city? Um, yeah. Yeah, So COVID definitely did a number on New York. I don't know if you've been there of late, but. Well, and every um, slightly set in the future book, Savannah does not do well. We're always underwater. I mean. (laughs) That sounds right for you guys, unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah. And I should say, um, Annalie has also written some sci-fi books. Um, So you guys might have those in your store. And I think that does sort of like show through in the writing style um, of how they come together. It's like all of their own world building has been informed by um, the actual journalistic knowledge that they have. Cool. That that's the best world building as a rule. People right. With historical knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Right. Um, so yes. So both of those are out now. Um, and then yes. Yeah, so I've got a few things that are coming later this summer into the fall. Maybe the most exciting one is the one that both of you found out about yesterday. Um, as the live right just announced that they are publishing a new two volume book of uh the lyrics 1956 to the present by paul mccartney um it is going to be absolutely beautiful Um, yeah yeah. and and i think sir paul says it's probably the closest thing he'll ever do to a memoir um his sort of takeaway was, you know, he hasn't been keeping diaries his whole life. He's been writing songs. And so looking back at the songs and talking to um, Paul Muldoon about them is the closest he's going to get to. Okay, are there song notes with all the songs? Yes. Oh. So the idea is they've done all these interviews to like have all this context and then, yeah, talk about this sort of course of his life through his songwriting. Um, oh, I'm so excited for that. Like, I mean, literally yeah. like, and it comes out. It comes out November second. Oh, um, that's a birthday present for me then. Yeah. <laughs> and I think you know, natural holiday gift for yeah. everyone you know who is a big Beatles fan. Um, my roommate here was like, "I will need you to get this for me for my birthday." Thank you. Uh, <laughs> my, and, yeah, my birthday is November fifth, so just saying. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, for the for the beautiful design of the book and the unique nature of it, I think it's, uh, yeah, really good price. It has the beautiful um, design. The two spines have the two sides of his face that sort of match up. Yeah. Um, lyrics all over the covers. And then the slip cases, that nice teal cover uh, color, which I just, I just love it. So beautiful. Uh, it's been. You, you tell the higher ups print a lot of these. Like yes. a lot of these, <laughs> you know, my, my guess is that they, uh, they get that, but, yeah. uh, yes. Um, I mean, he's been working on this liver has been working on this for almost a decade. And oh, so wow. it is finally coming together. And I feel like a lot of the publishing team just feels relief that it is out in the world now that it is <laughs> happening. Um, very good. So yes, very exciting. Um, and then on the fiction side, um, three great novels. Um, first, Bewilderment um, from Richard Powers. Um, so this is, you know, the author of The Overstory, which I think all of us have seen just continue to find new readers um, even now, years after its publication. Oh, yeah. It's still on the paperback indie bestseller list. Like, I mean, and still in like the top five. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Every week I see those numbers and it kind of blows me away. I see it all the restock orders that people send me for their stores and um, it's incredible. So um, the new one uh, is coming in September and, you know, to my mind, it has some thematic overlap with the overstory, but it's not, you know, it's not in any way meant to be a a sequel. I think it it will find its own different readership. Um, It is also a normal novel length. So, you know, the overstory is however many hundreds of pages. This is a nice uh, tight, you know, 250 or 300, maybe by the time it is all typeset. So looking good there. And it's this um, sort of a father-son story. The son is neuroatypical. The, um, the, his mother has passed away and his father is still sort of deep in grief from that and trying to figure out parenting on his own um, with all of the sort of learning challenges that are coming along with um, his neuroatypical son. And 
he, he's basically willing to do whatever it takes. Um, and so you see them have a really beautiful relationship. Um, the son is trying to learn more about his mother. Um, he's sort of in the nine, 10 age range. So still pretty young, but certainly like old enough to be figuring out the world around him, um, and how things work. Um, and he becomes very passionate because his mother was about the climate and saving species. So, you know, that to me is where a lot of the overlap of mm-hmm. the themes of the old story come in. Um, he is, uh, he, he decides to have a, a one man protest at the state house <laughs> in one very memorable scene. Um, he just sort of can't believe that other people who are not him don't care. Um, he's like, how are these people just going about their lives and not doing anything? We all know what we could be doing to, to stop animals from going extinct. So um, it's very moving. I don't want to give away too, too much about it. Um, but there are some interesting uh, science developments that allow him to become very close with his mother. Um, and then just a really fabulous ending. Um, so we've already gotten a lot of really good bookseller blurbs from it. People who both loved the overstory and people who, you know, maybe, you know, loved it, but came to it late. Um, and mm-hmm. so I think it'll have, um, a lot of really, um, wide readership. Um, and I think it has, you know, it has a lot to talk about. Um, I think it'd be good for, for book clubs, um, and just for, you know, general fiction readers. So we're very excited. So you, I know you said it was a, like a slimmer volume than the overstory. Um, I think, a a few of the comments that I've heard with people with the overstory is that it, in addition to being kind of longer, it's very sort of dense. Mm-hmm. Like, and so how is, how is this one kind of comparative <clears throat> to that? Like, I would say it's a much easier read. It's okay. this okay. straight, straightforward story in many ways about this father and son and, you know, linear, it's not jumping around with a bunch of different perspectives the way the overstory is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so I think, if, if you felt uh, daunted by the task of reading the Oprah story, uh, this will not be the same challenge. Okay. Good. Yeah. yeah. Gonna, are there arcs of that out in the world? There, there, will, there will be arcs of that out in the world. Um, it is, uh, I think my, my impression, and I suppose I could be wrong, my impression is that um, he essentially wrote it over the first few months of the pandemic at home. Oh, wow. Carolina. And um, it was sort of a, a surprise uh, thing to have come on the fall list. So um, a nice surprise. Yeah. Yeah, that's a nice <laughs> surprise. I mean, I'm, I'm delighted. <laughs> I mean, this fall we have Paul McCartney and Richard Powers, not to mention a whole bunch of other fantastic things. So it's going to be, it's going to be fall. a good season. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. Um, <laughs> Yes. So there will be, and there will be arcs and I'm sure you will get one at some point. Um, yes, I read, I, I made, um, your former Norton rev, our good friend, Adam, uh, read it. And it was so funny because he texted me when he was maybe halfway through and he said, I love it. Um, and he had all these interesting takeaways that were not my takeaways from it. And I felt sort of confused that we had both loved it, but taken very different things out of it. But then by the time he got to the ending and, and read that he was like, Oh, I see now. Okay. I see what you meant. You were, you were right. So, um, <laughs> which is always gratifying. <laughs> it is it is gratifying. It's, it's why, why I'm friends with him is for him to tell me that I'm right. Um, yeah. So anyway, so Richard Powers, um, <laughs> Uh, so Mrs. March this is a debut novel coming in August um, from an author named Virginia Fato. And Virginia lives in Madrid and has spent most of her life uh, in, in Madrid and Paris and yet has written this very New York novel, um, <laughs> which is fascinating. Um, it is the story of this woman, Mrs. March, whose husband is an acclaimed novelist. Um, we open the book with his new book release, uh, she is planning the book release party to be held in their New York apartment. Um, and then someone tells her sort of in passing, isn't the protagonist of his book based on you? And the protagonist is someone that is so unlikable that she becomes so horrified to think that maybe it is based on her that she just totally spirals out. 
and you see all of her insecurities from her entire life come to the surface. She starts second guessing her relationship with her husband. She starts thinking that maybe he has been involved in the disappearance of this young girl upstate near his editor's hunting cabin. Um, she goes to investigate. Um, she, there are some scenes of her taking care of their son. And then sometimes she seems to sort of forget that she has a child at all. Um, it is so weird and so interesting. Um, she's just so paranoid and you're just like in her head with her. Um, and so you see, you see that she can't possibly be right about all these things, but also it feels very real and very logical in some ways. Um, I read the whole thing probably in two sittings. I just couldn't put it down. Um, and we've had lots of conversations among all the reps because we all had sort of different impressions of what we really took out of it. So, yeah, it'll so be unreliable narrator. Oh yeah. Um, is it, is it like a kind of a psychological thriller? Is it just kind of straight fiction? Like, like woman in the window ish or. Um, I did not read woman in the window. So I Ripley. Um, yeah, I, it is. It is a thriller in some ways though. There is not anything it's just sort of a feeling that maybe something is out to get her, but there's, she's not, she doesn't have anything real to figure out. Um, So it's a, it is a strange one for sure. I think one of the most interesting things is that uh, we all couldn't decide when we thought it was set. Um, Interesting. And she, uh, she was at Winter Institute at one of the author social panels and we asked her, um, and so mm-hmm. she said she was envisioning as sort of 80s, 90s, but agreed that it was ambiguous. Um, I read it as more 60s, 70s, I think, because I wanted it to be sort of Mad Men era in New York, maybe more than. Uh, yeah, I like, heard you talk. You talk. Yes, I was there. Yes. So well, did, did she do the ambiguous na- nature of it on purpose? Yes. OK. All right. So. She, you know, I, I think there are plenty of things about it that feel very modern. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that then there are scenes where people are, um, some of the food choices, um, our California rep Joe uh, keeps focusing on the baked Alaska as a very like specifically dated reference. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> definitely 80s to 70s. Yeah. It's like sun-dried yeah. tomatoes. Like there's right. a very specific time frame. Right. There's a window for that. Um <laughs> And yes, people, um, people rolling TVs in and out of rooms, um, Uh, like getting ready for the party, taking the TV out of the room. Um, so there's that's that's like my elementary school years. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yes. So, um, the big news about this book really is that it's going to be made into a movie. Um, the rights have already been sold. Um, Elizabeth Moss is set to produce and star. Oh, in yes. it. So, <laughs> yeah, the chat on the yeah. side was that she yes. was for it. Yeah. yeah. So we all, as soon as we heard that she wanted to play Mrs. March, it was like light bulb moment. Yes, that is exactly the right person for that role. So now everyone will be able to read it and know that that, that is who will be in it. Um cool. But yeah, it's very exciting. So that um, that is coming in August. Um, and then lastly is All the Water I've Seen is Running. It's another debut novel um, by an author named Elias Rodriguez. Um, and this book is set in North Florida, sort of on the Gulf side. Definitely a lot of hot summer in the South vibes um, in terms of the setting. Um, and he is young man, uh, mixed race, who... Went to um, went to high school in Florida and then moved moved away um, and moved to New York. Has come out as gay, um, but no one who he went to high school with knows. Um, he finds out that this girl who he did in high school before he was out has died. Um, she was in a car accident and was killed, um, and so he goes home um, to sort of sort through his grief. And so he's seeing all his friends from high school for the first time in a long time um, and figuring out, you know, what the past sort of means to him, um, how his relationship with them has changed. 
Um, they all don't know that he is gay and he's figuring out if he should tell them and worrying about how they will react. Um, so there's a lot packed in here. Um, but I just thought sentence level, it is beautiful writing. The dialogue is so well done. Um, and then the end has this switch in perspective that just totally blew the whole thing open in my mind. Um, Interesting. Wow. Okay. So it is really, it is quite a wonderful novel. Um, I'm coming in June and the author, um, I think also grew up in Florida and now lives in Philadelphia. Um, and so you can see there are definitely some uh, perhaps autobiographical uh, aspects to it. Um, but it just made me feel like I was in a hot summer night in the South because they're driving around with the windows down and going to see the water and, um, you know, all, all sweating, all their clothes sticking to them. And uh, yeah, so um so yeah, just beautiful. I think it's one of the interesting things. I, I feel like uh, this is being published by Norton proper and the Norton fiction list does tend to be on quite on the literary side. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is one of my probably favorites of the last at least few years um, of, of their, uh, their fiction. So um, it is great. I, this is another one where I got just a couple of galleys of this sent to my house and I immediately passed it to my roommate who is a bookstore owner here and was like, you must read this. And (laughs) she, she did. And, and for once I felt totally vindicated because she was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Um, like a dog-eared copy somewhere that, you know, nobody wants. Perhaps. Uh, (laughs) um, Yes. She, um, she sent it to her uh, events person, um to read but yes I will I will try well and now you guys should be getting monthly boxes of galleys from us and I think that will be one in the cool. future very good. so very good. well um, you have galleys for um Mrs. March yes okay. I think so okay. um that is one that was in the Winter Institute galley room Actually, I and think I put it on my, my okay good all right well if yeah. you get one I would of like to read that yes perfect <laughs> yeah that is one because it was um because she did a good job of talking about it um, in the author social, then we got more galley requests than we would have anticipated. So yeah. mm-hmm. uh, it's a good problem to have. Yeah. Um, yes. So that's, that is that. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I feel like that's sort of a good look at the next, next few months, at least a, a few top picks um, for people to be thinking about for their reading lists. All sounds really good. They do. They, well, yes. Norton has a. Um, it's. It, I pretty much never pick up a Norton book that I don't love. That's true. Yeah. So. I was talking to someone who who has said he had explained it to a customer basically that they carried um, Norton books in their store um, so that they would have some like off the beaten path picks for people. Mm-hmm. He was like, it's not. It's never going to be the, you know, biggest must-have New York Times bestseller books, but it, it makes us look like a cool bookstore to have all these, all well, these things. Well, and then you then you have, like, the overstory, which, right. yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Out of the water. <laughs> there are other things. Um, of course. Yeah, yeah. No, it's but, important, I think, to go deep on the shelves. I was talking to somebody last night about that, and I was like, you know, we sell – sidelines and other things which are great because they keep me they let me keep that one book that I know I'll sell once a year but I really love on the mm-hmm. shelf mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so yeah yes, um, yes. and Jessica I didn't put on uh, I didn't talk about any of the new directions titles but there are plenty coming that I know you will <laughs> you will really love um <laughs> I'm excited yes yeah um, they always have such an interesting and strange list um, the ones I've been really enjoying recently have been the ones that Tin House is putting out. Mm-hmm. I love Tin House. putting out some amazing books. Yeah, they really are. Um, yeah, they've been they've been really killing it. Um, they have a book coming in March, um, which I will briefly tell you about, called Whispering House, which is creepy fiction that is the name. They have, 
greenhouse. <laughs> I mean, they have it sectioned as fiction slash gothic, which I think tells you everything you really need to know. But it's one of those things where you know as the reader from the outset that something is really not right and the protagonist has no idea until it's way too late. Um, this woman is trying to figure out what happened to her sister. Her sister's um, body was found near the Whispering House and so she goes to investigate and meets the guy who lives in the Whispering House and she thinks she's falling in love with him and And she's like I'll just move into this house with him we're so in love I love him and you're like girl like you have got to get out of there this is the point where I'm yelling at it like stop this (laughs) she meets his mother who's obviously ill in some way it's a lot but like great twists and turns I really did not know what exactly had happened and and that's the kind of book where Jessica will have to skip like 50 pages ahead because she can't handle the the stress of not knowing (laughs) so I I like because of the series that we talked about earlier that I've been reading um the Deborah Harkness and because I was listening to it, I couldn't skip ahead. So I had to just internalize and deal with the tension. It was not good for me. That's why you haven't been sleeping. I'm bad about what's going to happen. That's why I fictionalized characters. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know you're a true nerd when you, you are so immersed in a world that you're losing sleep over the fate of, you know, which a vampire they're twins <laughs> and all the other stuff mm-hmm. so so maybe melissa you can read with spring house i'll read that and and i'll, I'll, I'll report back yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll stick with the verse though and yeah right yeah <laughs> oh goodness um yeah so should we talk about flight of the diamond smugglers yeah yes. because oh my god yeah what a great so we um as everyone who listens to our podcast out there knows we um, are assigned a book by our reps and this was the one that we were assigned and we we picked because it had pigeons in the title um yeah abby was nice and gave us like she's like Here's a couple of choices which of these are you interested in i was like you had me at pigeons well <laughs> it's not a happy-go-lucky book about pigeons no no there's no. so much more in there yeah 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 so, so First of all, I will say I am the opposite of you. I was like, am I really going to read this whole book about pigeons? <laughs> but I loved his previous book, Preparing the Ghost, so much that I was like, okay, I believe you, Matthew, Gavin, Frank, that you can make this book about pigeons work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was a bookseller, uh, we made Preparing the Ghost an all-staff pick. And then we accidentally left the display up for like six months because we forgot to change it. And also we all loved the book. Yeah. Um, but we were like the only store in the world to sell a lot of copies of a book that is about a giant squid. Um, well, no, and I, I totally, now I want to go back and read that after reading this, I haven't read preparing the ghost and I'm like, well, why not? Why yeah, I'll send I- you a copy. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. Um, you will like it because I mean, I assume you will like it in that both Adam and I liked it. And therefore I believe that it yes, will I will probably overlap. like it. And a giant squid. I mean, yeah. well, we we did read the one about the octopus for our um, we at, did for yeah. our nonfiction book club, mm-hmm. and we were both like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then we also were enthralled with the sound of a wild snail eating, and yeah, snails yeah. are fascinating. So yes, yes, um, but yes. So pigeons. pigeons. I mean, there's pigeons. just so much in this book because. It opens with him with this like deeply personal story of why he's going to South Africa in the first place. Yes. And then just all of these happenstance things of him, him sort of realizing how much there is to uncover in the, the pigeon and diamond smuggling world. Yeah. Uh, and I, I feel like this is just the tip of the surface because there's, in, in reading this, I don't think you could safely write much more about it. Right. That's my impression. Yeah, um, like this yes. is just a, a small well, like when he, meditation on it almost. Yeah, like so, like the like when he goes in and comes back out of the like um, restricted the restricted area, like they take his pen away from him on the way out because everything that goes over there is the property of De Beers. Like they, it it's so crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so I've had so many different thoughts about 
like I, so I have a lovely diamond wedding ring. Um, but I, because of, you know, I work all the time and um, I'm active, I don't wear it all the time. But now I'm wondering about its actual, you know, I mean, it, it's disturbing. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, I guess, yeah, I guess the, the premise for people who are not sitting in front of this book is, is to look at how pigeons are used in diamond smuggling and how it's related to the diamond trade as a whole. And yes, it is such a dark look at this at this industry that, you know, we all sort of know, I think in some like corner of your mind, you're like, yes, I think the diamond industry is probably, a, you know, doing some shady things, but it takes, well, but- they're getting to know this young boy who's yes. smuggling, taking a, p- a pigeon into work with him and risking his life and his employment every yeah. day. Well, and for not that much money. No, too. no. I mean, like, a, so there were several things that were horrifying to me. One was the lack of money that these people made. I mean, just the absolute. Like, even like when they smuggle the diamonds out, what they're able to sell them for is like a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of what they would get. I think it's one fifth of like 0.05 yeah, like, of the actual cost that the diamond will sell for. Yeah. But it's just, it was. It was interesting because they're not looking at, he's not looking at the diamonds that you would consider conflict diamonds, like blood diamonds. Like, so that's a whole different part of the diamond industry. And these are supposed to be the ones that are doing it so much better. And they're, and it's, there's no, there is no good diamond mining. There's just not. No, it is. It is. Yes. And, and they even address it in the book. They talk about, you know, so we have to do all this to make sure that these are not conflict diamonds. Um, and it's not much better. No, no. no. Yeah. I mean, it's just huge swaths of the South African coast that are completely controlled by diamond companies. Yes. There's no other work for people so that, you know, you pretty much have to be willing to work for the diamond corporations and this young boy, I mean, my heart just breaks every time I think about it. He's like, I have to go and do this so that my mother and my brother who has already been made ill by the effects of the diamond mines can survive. Mm-hmm. And it's just, ah, oh, it's so heartbreaking to think about. Well, and the little like sections that were about his specific pigeon mm-hmm. broke my Bartholomew. <laughs> yeah, Bartholomew, his pigeon. And yeah, well, and just the weight um, that the pigeons carry when they send them out. And then that entire coastline, which is almost another character in and of itself, mm-hmm. um, the beaches and the, it's, it's hard to visualize, you know, and it's not really on the map as they explain in here. Um, although he's, and when I read his biography, the author's biography and saw that he was a creative writing instructor, mm-hmm. this book made complete sense because his writing is so beautiful and the way he describes things is like, you can see it. And it's like, it's yeah. uncomfortable, the feeling of, of being in these places, especially the, the um, mist. Well, no, well, I was going to say the, um, the towns where they're shutting things down Mm -hmm. and there's people that are still living there, but it's just trash everywhere and they don't get water. And like, I, I was anxious, like very anxious reading it. Yes. (laughs) For me, it was the the fog because I grew up on a a beach in a coastal Mm -hmm. area. And so, um, yeah, just the, and I know that even though Africa is, southern that this is a colder part of it and so just that whole the pigeons not being able to know where they're going and people getting lost in this fog was very um emotive I thought Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. of what was going on um it is a dense book for being less than 200 pages too like yeah like the narrative itself is 179 pages and then it's got a bunch of notes Mm -hmm. and stuff at the back but it's like it's honestly it's like Part memoir, part exploration of loss, part mm-hmm. like nature essay, part yeah. history. It, when he gets into the whole part about 
how pigeons have been portrayed in like folklore around yeah, the world. And in the Bible and in, yeah. you know, that they're messengers of God. Well, and it goes through the whole myth of uh, Orpheus and Eurydice and yeah, yeah. like, and it not fascinating. Back. And then the crossing of the river from, um, oh, formerly Rhodesia, now Zimbabwe, mm-hmm. into South Africa. And just, you know, I thought about crossing the river, but I hadn't thought about the hip- hippos and the crocodile and then the people waiting to murder you on the other side. So, yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. There. Yeah. yeah. It is, yeah. I think the thing that has just stuck with me is his ability to weave all of those different aspects of the story into one book and have it make any amount of narrative sense i mean it's just an incredible feat um especially for such a slim it is it always we we were discussing that well Um, and the and then the build-up to um the reveal of mr lester mm -hmm. is brilliant like the way he kind of weaves that through the whole thing and then like the payoff for that i think is just uh, so good and the conflict of of the actual character person Mm -hmm. um and his torn allegiances and everything. Um, yeah, just not who you expected it to be and and so good. And his wife is sort of this background character. Mm-hmm. And, and just yeah. what she's dealing with the whole time, like that whole, that whole part of the story, it's, yeah. It's, um, yeah. yeah, it's just sad. The, there's just a lot of yearning in it, I guess. Yes. Interwoven in the pages of um, mm-hmm. yeah. everybody's story in the book. No, so. yeah, I think it's it's one of those ones where I was thinking about who I would recommend this for, and it's like, okay, there could be a true crime readership, there could be a memoir readership, there could be a history readership, there could be a business readership. Mm-hmm. Um, just so many different kinds of people I mean I, I don't I hate to be the person that like is like well if you liked H's for Hawk because oh. you like books that deal with birds and grieving but seriously H's for Hawk, Hawk. um yeah. or um the sound of a wild snail eating mm-hmm. which is a sort mm-hmm. of nature memoir put together or um yeah I, I think that there are there is a sort of class of this kind of memoir that mm-hmm. Um, nonfiction that I find fascinating. That's a little bit of several different things. Yeah, that's what I was when I was talking to Jessica about it. I was like, I just love that he kind of meanders, but it always gets to a place where it just makes complete sense. And as you're going, you're like, okay, uh, how's this going? Oh, okay, that's how that ties in there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yes. I think it. Yeah, just an impressive feat to pull off. Um, yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Well done, Matthew Gavin Frank. Yes. <laughs> and this just came out on Tuesday, so Tuesday, it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We and we have in the world. Shop. Yes. It is actually now um, firmly implanted in my staff picks. Like I put it in there right today. I know. She <laughs> always beats me to these things, and then like <laughs> hard for them. <laughs> Oh, well, this has been great fun. Yeah, thank you yeah. so much for being here. We very much enjoyed having you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm just happy uh, that you guys have a podcast. I love, I'm a big podcast listener, so it's exciting. So we will see you in two weeks and we'll have more exciting books to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, like the next couple episodes, we don't really have anybody scheduled to come on and chat with us until I think the beginning of April. Like mm-hmm. I think March is just us. We might bring a, a bookseller on in the yeah, meantime. Too. I think, I think there's a couple who haven't been on that need to come on. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think our next rep is Diane, our penguin rep. Yes. Our penguin rep. And that's, I think the first week in April, but mm-hmm. anyway, um, we hope you all are well and that you're reading all the books, all the books, all the books. Yes. And we will talk to you soon. Yeah. And, and we might try to bring an author or two on. We'll see. Who knows? Who knows? Mystery cast. (laughs) All right. Be well. Bye. Bye.